coming to you not exactly live from... The Cliffs of Insanity! Where life is an adventure. And if adventure has a podcast, it must be Indiana Jim. Don't tell me you've never heard of me. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. I have entertained in all the courts of Europe and speak a ready wit in their every tongue. I told you I was famous. And now, that intrepid arch-geekologist, Indiana Jim. You have chosen wisely. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is, whatever time it is, wherever you are, here I am, and welcome back to the show and allow me to welcome myself back to your ears. Yes, of course, it's been a while. It's been a while. I don't know that Nickelback song, so I'm not going to bother singing it. I am back with you for this episode. Thanks to a longtime listener who gave me what... Uh, we podcasters consider wealth beyond measure, and that is feedback. <laughs> and I haven't had a bit of feedback in a long time. A very long time. In fact, I feel so old. Uh, anyway, it's from an old friend of the podcast, Amy Bowen, who... Uh, we have interacted within the podcasting space for many a year, and it's been some time since she wrote in, or in this case, uh, uh, MP3'd in, and uh, I was very delighted to receive her emails. Um, she emailed, well, email, she emailed two different comments, audio comments, and we're going to get to those, and also in the program... Uh, an update on what I've been up to, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to go check because I'm not, I'm not going to do any editing here. Adventures of Indiana Jim.net. and I'm just going to look here. It's about time. Nano day fourteen. Looks like was the last time. That I sent, that I sent, <laughs> that I posted anything. Wait a minute, that's not. It's not going to the next page. My website's messed up. How's my what? How's this? Uh wow. Okay, it's weird. I know I have a second page, uh, but my Twitter dilemma and my COVID experience. On October 17th, 2020. And then what I want to do with my life was June 13th, 2020. And then the episode before that was October 12th, 2019. <laughs> so, oh boy, has it been a while. And uh, basically, well, I'm just looking, I'm reading... Uh, about my fluctuating interests. Uh, I had mentioned the shiny object syndrome episode from Cliff Ravenscraft. Okay, enough navel-gazing, enough looking at my website. Oh, you know what? It's recording twice. 
And actually, it wasn't recording twice. <laughs> so let me uh, mute that anyway, just to make sure. So uh, we're going to talk about where I've been since my last podcasting ventures and a little bit about how things are set up here. Because, and I'll talk about that first. I'm using a program called Voice Meter Banana, and that's meter with two E's in the middle. And this is, it's a virtual routing uh, system so that you can route different things to different places. Uh, I've got VLC media player going to a virtual input, which then I can mix in. Uh, so I can just play the files directly into Audacity and talk over it as I did just a moment ago. And it takes, uh, yeah, wow. I So I just, that pause right there was debating do I want to go back and edit that? Do I want to start over so I can go back and edit that peak that I just had? Or am I going to leave it in there? And I froze for a second thinking, what am I going to do? So I'm just going to leave it in there because I don't want to go back and edit this thing. Because I, I've spent too much time trying to figure out what was wrong with this stupid thing. <laughs> and there's there's lots of people with something to say about the program. There's a user manual that has a ton of information and if you at least understand physical audio mixers, you can sort of figure out what you're doing. And that's what I have in my case is years of experience working with different various uh, physical audio mixers, um, audio programs, uh, kind of understanding how they work, kind of knowing instinctively where to go to troubleshoot said things. And... Um, knowing kind of what my issue might be if I hear something weird about it, which the weird thing about it was some sort of, well, today, was just, it sounded like an audio processing, an effect of some sort, and it took me to forever to figure out the obvious place where it was and turn it off, <laughs> as, as you do when you are getting ready to podcast. And that's another thing, and it, it took time to set things up. And unless you really enjoy working with the equipment, the hardware, it can really put you off to the idea of making a podcast, uh, making an episode. And when there's other people in the house and working around people's schedules, luckily it's Saturday, nobody needs this back room, which happens to also be the laundry room and no one's doing laundry right now, bonus for me. When you've also got, well, let's just, let's back it up and and let's start over. When you want to be a podcaster, you want to be, you want to make it as easy on yourself to just hit record, say what you want to say, um, and the easier you make it, the easier it is to be consistent. And my issue has always been, what do I want this podcast to be about? And there may be a hint of how I solve that problem provided by uh, my friend Amy Bowen, who has delivered me the feedback. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and get straight to that um, and use it as a bridge between prior episodes and current times. So we'll just get right to that right now. 
Hello, Indiana Jim. This is Amy Bowen. Hello. I have recently been trying to get through all of my backlogged podcasts, and I've decided to record an audio comment whenever anyone says anything that I would like to respond to. Good goal. So I am recording this audio comment to let you know that I have been listening to your podcasts from 2019. Wow. And they have been very interesting and very entertaining and even inspiring and encouraging. Mm, inspiring. All I right. listened to your episode. The last one I finished was Midlife Anxiety mm. and Crippling Angst, a comedy mm. from mm-hmm. June 2019. Oh my gosh, it's so and far back. And as it happened, I listened to it when I was myself on a road trip. It's two years Although ago. Although I am going for pleasure rather than for business, mm-hmm. I could not entirely relate, but it was a good story. <laughs> and... Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for talking about what you're going through and being willing to share it with the world. I have enjoyed that connection with you. Oh, good. Thank you. As a fellow writer, as a sometime fellow musician, Mm -hmm. I have enjoyed listening to you talk about not knowing what you want out of life and looking at your episode titles for your upcoming episodes. I cannot wait to see what you have in store next. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm sure this is going to be good. Thank you for being yourself, being cool, being goofy. I agree with you. Your podcasts are at their best (laughs) when you're being goofy and talking about just whatever is on your mind. Right. (laughs) I've enjoyed listening to you, and I really hope to hear... More from you in the future about writing or whatever else happens to cross your mind. I might as well. This is Amelia Bowen, at Amy (laughs) Bowen on Twitter. And signing off. Right, yeah. See, that's the the uncomfortable bit is, how do I end this? (laughs) I feel your pain. I feel your pain on uh, phone calls, especially. uh, How do I... um, uh, how do I say goodbye again? <laughs> I forget. Oh, uh, gosh, thank you so much. And I'm I'm grinning, which I don't grin very often, but uh, that's that's what I mean. That's that's the gold right there for podcasters to hear that someone's listening and someone's finding value in your content. And that's kind of the the part I wanted to get at was something she said in there was the bit about your podcasts are at your best when you're being goofy and just talking about whatever comes to mind. So, and, and, and well, my mic, my mic stand's creaking. Okay. And that's always been, I guess, I, I guess it's a form of imposter syndrome because, and, and a lot of us go through this, is like, well, you know, I'm, I, my my content, whatever that is, needs to be of value to somebody. How do I make sure it's valuable? And part of the problem is we don't understand our own intrinsic value because we're on the inside. Um, we're we're there's people outside the hallway. We're um we're on the production side of things. We we're on the inside of our brain and we see what we could have said, um, you know, plus the stuff that we end up saying, the the stuff we end up doing, all the stuff that we edit out with our filters, 
we see, but no one else does. And so I think what happens is we don't, we're not other people, obviously. So we don't know the perspective that other people have. We don't know the value of what we bring to the table. And I think that's, you know, go back to my, you know, the podcasting Yoda, the podcast answer man, uh, the mindset answer man, Cliff Ravenscraft, you know, that's kind of been part of his journey too, was going from the podcast answer man to the mindset answer man, changing from you know, when he was getting feedback that and reviews in iTunes and people saying, oh, this guy, it's false advertising because he says it's the podcast answer man, but all he does is talk about himself and his journey. And so he changed it to the Cliff Ravenscraft show. So, you know, it would always be about Cliff Ravenscraft. And of course, the adventures of Indiana Jim has always been about what I'm going through. And so I guess all of that to say, as I kill the peak again, <laughs> all of that to say, thank you again for, um, for what you said and, uh, for listening and, and for getting back to me. Um, that is, that is, well, it's valuable beyond any actual measure I can give you. But I, I just wanted to point to that part about being at its best when it's kind of off the cuff, I guess. And, and I appreciate that. And, and it's going to play a role in, in, the future of this podcast and whatever else uh, I end up doing. Now we're going to go to the longer comment here and um, see what, see what she had to say when she came back for more. I actually realized belatedly that I had a second audio comment that I wanted to share that I completely forgot about when I recorded my first audio comment yesterday. That's okay. So here it is. Okay. One of the earlier podcasts of yours that I listened to recently was one of your Writing Crusade episodes where you talked about traditional publishing contracts versus self-publishing. And you know... Uh, before, sorry, I, I meant to mention this, uh, the midlife crisis um, uh, crippling angst episode, uh, I remember, of course, was about my trip to Boston and uh, my basically... My very brief nervous breakdown, and so um, I, I do hope there is some value if you if you are listening to this episode. If you want to go back and check that out from June 2019, Adventures of Indiana Jim um, and the midlife it and crippling angst, and that I forget the whole title. But anyway, back to Amy. I didn't really know all that, and I had never thought of it that way before. So thank you very much for the points that you made in that episode. Specifically, the points that were new to me, or else I'd forgotten about them, were that publishing contracts with a traditional publishing house basically monopolize a whole bunch of rights that you mm -hmm. could benefit from yourself. Mm -hmm. And also, why exactly would one want to get a p traditional publishing contract? Because you want your book to be visible in a bookstore? Mm -hmm. There's only a tiny, tiny handful of books that are visible in bookstores. Why mm. exactly do you think yours will be one of them? 
I had really never thought of those things before. So that actually changed my attitude toward traditional publishing, which, by the way, is a lifelong dream of mine. Mm -hmm. Have a book traditionally published and have my name on it. Yes. That I'm still not 100% completely ready to give up, but mm-hmm. now what I, I, I'm now beginning to think of it in terms of a catchphrase that our friend Mr. Matthew Wayne Selznick likes to use a lot, which is, I make things for people who like the kind of things that I make. Mm-hmm. So here is how I'm thinking of my books now. Okay. Are any of my books the kind of thing that the tra- traditional publishing industry would like? Maybe. Maybe. If it turns out that the, that any of them are the kind of thing that the traditional publishing industry will like, maybe I'll still try to go for it. Sure. But I think most of them probably aren't. So I'm going to well. try to make my peace with self-publishing. On a related note, it may be a little easier to commit to being a self-published independent author now that I know about this 20 books to 50k Facebook group, Mm. I think it's interesting Mm. that both The Adventures of Indiana Jim and Sonatotum, Matthew Wayne Selznick's podcast, have both mentioned the existence of this group in the podcast episodes that I've listened to on this road trip. I had no idea that people actually made that kind of income by having 20 or more books in the electronic book publishing space. Uh I think that's fascinating, and I think it's a cool goal to aspire to, and it sort of seems easier but also harder in some ways than getting a book traditionally published. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I don't think I can get that many ready to publish and bring to market that quickly either. Right, right. But it's certainly something to consider trying to do. So let me let me mention something that, that you bring that up. So first of all, you know, we have uh, another mutual podcasting acquaintance. Uh, we have T. Morris, uh, Philip, Philippa Ballantyne, who've both, they've done sort of this hybrid kind of publishing thing. Um, Scott Sigler is another really good example, someone who harnessed the power of podcasting and the internet to do both independent and traditional publishing. Um, but it helps to be, you know, you, you have to be wise to what you're signing up for. And I think in the question of why would anyone want to sign a traditionally published contract, it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish. There, there may be some intrinsic value to being able to say, look, there's my book, you know, Crown is publishing it or Orbit or an imprint that we that we like Tor Books has signed me to to write this book, but again, and, and this this all goes to the things that I've been learning from Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush, people who have been on all sides of the publishing business for decades, who know the stuff that they're talking about. In fact, when I'm on YouTube and I'm looking at videos about writing and publishing, and I see somebody who's in their mid-20s who says, here's how to write a best-selling novel. Really? I, I, you know, I, you don't have enough gray hairs for me to want to hear what you have to say. 
because your experience probably isn't all that um, um, comprehensive, let's just say. So I'm going to listen to people like Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush and Kevin J. Anderson and people who are kind of at the, you know, at the peak of experience. And you can you can also look at people, you know, Brandon Sanderson has made comments about this. And it all depends on what you believe. And if you believe that the only way to get your book in bookstores is to go the traditionally published route, then, you know, that's what you want to do. Um, there is something to be said for bookstores being more willing to order and shelve books that are from known brands, known imprints, known publishers. And, you know, that Dean and Chris, when they got WNG Publishing really going, they hired Alison Longuera, who is someone with experience in the traditional industry, so that their publishing house would almost be run similar to a traditional publishing company, only they have much more control over their own rights. They don't. They own the company, but they don't run it. Allison is the publisher at WMG. She runs the ship, and it's this idea to me of of um, compartmentalization. So one of the things that that uh, people like Craig Martell, who's in that fifty books of fifty k group, who started kind of that whole thing, one of the things that he says, and and it just kind of goes around in that community is this idea that. You know, you, you you write the book, you put on the artist hat, you write the book, and then, and even Dean has talked about this, and then you shift gears and you go to the business side. And your book is done, it's a product. Now you're over here on the business side and you're treating it like a product. You're not treating it like your baby. A lot of times, and you mentioned that this was a dream you had, and of course it was kind of a dream that I had too, because... The reason that was a dream was because that's the way that we believed that it was done. That was the singular route that we saw. And that's where all the books go, right? <laughs> but, and, and this has only been in recent years, it's only been 10 years or so that this really started to shift in 2010 was when the, the Kindle revolution really got started. And that's when Dean and Chris started looking at it seriously and like, okay, well, we can get our backlist here and start putting stuff out. You know, you you have to understand what you're giving up and what you're keeping either way. And when you negotiate, you have to be willing to walk away from something if, you know, do you value your name on the spine of a book more than you value the ability to take advantage of your own copyright? And that's the trade-off. How much are you willing to sacrifice? How much are you willing to give up so that someone else can do the work that you don't want to do or don't want to have to pay for? And there, there, are, there are experts who know a whole lot more than I do about how to do it. You can look at Dean and Chris. You can look at Joanna Penn, who also, she's a hybrid. She does some traditional and some some indie. You can look at somebody like David Galran. Gal, 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 Galran? The Irish guy with the beard. <laughs> Gowron. I think it's Gowron. I don't know. I, 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 I try to 
say it in an Americanized version of the Irish, but with a name like Gochran, 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 I think it's Gochran. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> David G. David G. <laughs> um, he has a you know he has a lot of great information about independent publishing and and how to make it work for you and um you know the the days of the middleman are fast going away and you know when you can independently indep- right when you can independently publish your books in a professional way and you can get them listed in things like Baker and Taylor and these other catalogs you know then you can get into bookstores and you can get into libraries. I mean, I my ebook, First Blade, um, through Draft to Digital, is available in libraries and on on the 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 ebook app that my local library uses. I can go into Hoopla and I can search for my book and it's in there. I can get my own ebook through my local library through this app, and I didn't even have to draft to digital they they you know you, you get to select what services are, are available for your you know that your books are available to uh, mine is as wide as possible and and there it is it showed up in the library um, there's so many resources now that you can take advantage of that we couldn't in the past you know and I mentioned that it depends on how much work you're willing to pay f- someone else to do for you if you, you know, we all, I don't, we all have differing degrees of competence and confidence in our different abilities. So, I, I don't know. I, I value less and less the idea of an editor telling you what your book is supposed to do. I can see someone who knows what they're talking about looking at it and go, you know, this doesn't work here and here's why um editors tend to good editors tend to have studied the craft of it they have done all a lot of analysis we writers we tend not to look at a work and to pick it apart to figure out how it works we're, we're not always as analytical uh, we don't always have the mind of an engineer us creative people i've kind of got that sort of that sort of bent my grandfather was an engineer um, and, and, uh, so I get a lot of analytical from, from his side of things. And so, you know, I tend to like picking things apart and figuring out how they work and fiction is not any different. So if you can look at a story structure, figure out where your story is weak and not overdo it, you can, you can self edit your own fiction. Now, I know a lot of people just went, oh, you know, they freaked out just now and started yelling at their at their podcast. And, and, you know, again, it's all what you're willing to give up or to pay for to get the work done. You can pay an editor to edit your stuff. You know, if and when my fiction starts making money, then I can start paying editors. <laughs> you know, that's just... And, and if you feel like it's important to have an, there's tons of freelance editors who know what they're doing, who will not tell you what to write, but just tell you what's broken so that you can go fix it. Um, 
agents are not editors. Sometimes a person who's been an editor is an agent. But anytime you're turning over your book to an agent to tell you how to rewrite it, you know, no. What did Heinlein say? Heinlein said, don't rewrite unless to editorial demand. And even then, as Dean says, as he adds to it, only if you agree with it. <laughs> um, you know, don't you don't let an agent tell you, you know, how to write your how to write your novels because they're not writers. Um, agents in Hollywood with screenplays, that's a different story. But it's a completely different medium and it's a completely different industry. And uh, those agents have read a lot of screenplays. They know, you know, they just they know. You don't you don't have editors <laughs> in in Hollywood, um, but you do have producers, and that's important. Um, so anyway, and, and enough about agents. I you know I don't have any experience with one, but I can tell you who does: Dean Wesley Smith, Christine Catherine Rush. They have experience, and and other people's experience may vary, but I'm going to trust the guy that's written over a hundred novels. Uh, and has been in the industry for 40 years. That's the guy that I'm going to uh, listen to myself for me. You know, do you, can you do your own covers? Yes. If you have studied graphic design, if you know graphic design, if you can even learn graphic design, you can learn how covers are made. You can observe how, what covers look like in your genre, what the best selling covers are doing, and you can learn how to make them if you have that sort of bent. Um, I am fortunate in that it's easy for me to learn design skills and design processes. I, I, I am an autodidact, so anything that I want to learn, I, pretty much I can go and learn. You know, I can learn how to fix stuff on a car. I can learn how to write a book or write a song or paint a picture, you know, there, there's, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like to be a person who, who can't grasp that kind of thing. Now, can I learn mathematical concepts? Not very well. <laughs> and maybe I, um, uh, maybe that's a limiting belief. And that's the other thing that I wanted to mention. Uh, and the last thing you said, let's see, I'm going to back this up just a little bit here. And I think it's a cool goal to aspire to and it sort of seems easier but also harder in some ways than getting a book traditionally published. I agree with you, I don't think I can get that many ready to publish and bring to market that quickly either. And that's it right there. That, And maybe, I may have said that and I think the way you just said it implies that I did say that I didn't think I could I could do it. And that gets into the idea of limiting beliefs. It's what do we believe about the writing process that makes us think we can't do it. Um, and that's one of the things, and I believe I mentioned it in the context of 50 books to 50K, um, that's one of the things that I have struggled with is because I'm... I haven't been, at least on this project that I'm in the middle of, where I have that book out and I'm working on the sequel, is I'm trying to make this nested, threaded narrative, multi-threaded narrative, 
where everything kind of comes together just right at the end. And there's a there's a value in that, I think, especially depending on your genre, depending on what you're writing. Um, some of the books that, that Craig Martell and I, I can't remember the other guy. Uh, I listened to a few audiobook versions of one of the ones he was doing, but oh, Michael Anderley. And listening to this kind of action sci-fi thing where it's it's all just it's all just fun, you know? And there's only, you know, two point of view characters where my, you know, heroic fantasy has three or four and figuring out who's doing what and making their story interesting enough that we can keep up with them, um, that we have a reason to keep up with them. So, you know, it depends on what you write. It depends on how you feel about the craft. It depends on, you know, the time you have to devote to it. And, but I think a lot of it is hangups that we create ourselves. It's, we create this perception and this belief that it can't be done. And so our subconscious gets in the way and says, ha ha, you can't do it. You know, I do have occasions where I sit in front of a blank screen and my brain is trying to process different options, different things that could happen. But how much of that is my belief that it's going to take time? And so therefore my subconscious says, okay, we're going to make it take some time. You know, we, we get on our own way. Not, we get in our own way 90% of the time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so when you see that someone else has done something that you up until that point have not been able to do, you get to look at that and go, huh, how do I release myself, give myself permission to do that? And maybe it's a, maybe it's a goofy genre that we don't even like that much. You know, it's like I've never read, written bodice ripping romance, but hey, if I wanted to really just kind of stretch and just be and goof off and have fun with it, I might do that because it's a genre I don't care about. And so it, a lot of the issue is how much we care. We care so much that we don't want to break it, whatever that thing is. We don't want to do it wrong because we care so gosh darn much and we're so emotionally tied to an outcome. And that's what you can't be that's when it comes to the you know like i said you mentioned the dream of getting traditionally published well my dream sort of changed and i I have a dream to be the artist that i want to be regardless of anybody else so um anyway i think i'm rambling let's uh let's get back to your comment but it's certainly something to consider trying to do yeah the other part of your podcasts today that I have really enjoyed listening to was I'm really enjoying your personal development content. And I really like the idea that a big goal isn't a thing to aspire to and to hope to get to, but a place to start from. Yes. And you have to show up and act like a person who has already achieved whatever your big goal is would act. Right. Think about what what kinds of things do they do? What kinds of habits do they get into? And then show up as that person who is successful in whatever sphere of activity you have in mind. I really liked that idea. That was cool. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome, but it's not my idea, which I probably made that clear in there. But, um, but yeah, we... we that's how that's how learning happens is we hear something from somebody and it makes sense to us and we 
regurgitate that and teach that out. So and I think you understand that, uh, but I really appreciate um, you mentioning that because that was that was big for me. And pardon all the background noise. I forgot to turn off the sound on my tablet again. Oh, who cares? It's fine. Thank you for your podcast episodes. I am very excited to see what you do next, however you brand it. Although, I gotta say, I like the variety audio diary talk about a whole bunch of things podcast format because that's what I do myself. Cool. At ameliabowen.com. Gotta go. I gotta go Ding. there. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good luck to you, and I'll be very eager to hear whatever you put out next. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. I uh, appreciate it. You know, um, Amy, you, you've been there, gosh, since, I think, since the beginning, um, since since we all were in this little podcasting community, and um, it's just, uh, it's almost unfathomable that you're still there, you're still listening, and you're still sending feedback, and I'm extraordinarily grateful, and I love hearing from you. And so let me let me take that bridge from prior content into what we're doing now. And one of the imposter syndrome type deals that that we deals that we deal with, <laughs> one of the imposter syndrome symptoms that we often deal with is the idea that, well, in order to have a successful podcast, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And it depends on who you're trying to be because I'm, and this is a lesson again that I learned from Cliff as he goes through his, you know, his life and his podcasting career, and he's he's back onto making more regular content again. And this idea of, of giving ourselves permission and freedom to be who we are and not be somebody else. Is it important for me to have a consistent podcast that releases weekly, that has something important to say every week, um, does that suit my personality? Well, no. Does the audio journal format sort of, do, do I have something to say every week? I, you know, I don't know that I do. And for a long time, it's because I stopped learning anything. I stopped progressing, you know. Uh, but I can remember the different things that I would show up passionate about um, I had an episode years and years ago when I first discovered Nightwish and how I never heard symphonic metal before. The only experience I'd had was with Evanescence and was with these bands who pretended to be gothic, but then these Finnish metal bands were actually, you know, of that sort of, oh gosh, I don't know how to put it, of that sort of gothic... Uh, origin almost and the eastern european sort of vibe and even though they're norse they're not really eastern european they're a little bit different but they're they're somewhat similar um anyway the whole point was this really exciting episode that i did that somebody found and, and put on youtube like they put it on their youtube channel because they're just boosting the signal and i thought that was really cool 
Uh, and of course, past episodes about Battlestar Galactica. And then in 2009 or 10, uh, when I, when I spent the, the 13 months unemployed and I did the income in crisis comedy bits, you know, I only did like three of them, but, Again, it's this idea that we don't value what we bring to the table. And that concern with being a quote-unquote successful podcast, with growing one's audience, and why. And a lot of that has to do with, gosh, I've, I've got to do something to build an audience so that I can increase my income and... Um, become financially independent and stop the nine to five daily grind and yada, 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 yada. And, and being so obsessed with the process and and figuring out how do I do this just right? You know, how do I do it the way they tell me, quote unquote, they tell me I'm supposed to do it. What are the best practices for being a successful podcaster and, building your audience and um, you know if I do a, if I did a patreon or something like that a subscriber type um, you know, a premium membership kind of deal what content do I give people above and beyond a podcast that brings some actual value you know um, and with some people it's you know a service if, if it's a coach it's like if you're a patreon subscriber you get you know bonus sessions or I don't know it it's so nebulous to me but anyway the point is I you know I just haven't given myself permission just to be me um plus there's the fact that you know I've been working at Kroger in the gas station for you know most evenings and there's always something going on and and I make that excuse you know I can't find time or it'll be a different time every day and you know, this, that, and the other thing. Anyway, that's that's kind of the thought process that I'm in right now. Um, and, and I never wanted, to, I don't want to abandon podcasting. You know, I've never said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm done making this show, even though it kind of seems like it. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming there's still people out there subscribed to my podcast feed. But, you know, I, my feed has changed a couple times in the intervening years. Um, I had the, the original feed burner feed before I lost, uh, all my website stuff because, you know, I was out of money <laughs> and I just kind of let things lapse. I didn't, I didn't renew anything, um, was up to about 300 subscribers. And then I sort of fell off the map. And when I tried to get back on again, the podcasting space had changed enough, um, that, my potential audience had been diluted and I'm also not sure how many people have kept listening. So because I haven't been getting any regular feedback and of course I haven't been producing regular episodes either. So I I would like for that to change. And I think, you know, some things have taken a backseat to other things and here's where we get to what's currently going on in my life. I had, briefly considered you know at one time I was going to make three different Indiana Jim podcasts the Riding Crusade the Temple of Geek and Readers of the Lost Library (laughs) and 
you know, I had this idea of multiple shows under the, you know, the banner, the adventures of Indiana Jim and this adventure is this podcast, you know, that kind of thing. And then I discovered the idea of coaching and I went through Rich Litvin's The Prosperous Coach book. And I've done some coaching with some, you know, friends of mine who were willing to sign up for an actual, you know, an actual coaching thing and, and kind of knew what the knew was it knew what was at stake and were willing to allow me to coach them and not just, you know, have a talk or whatever. People who were willing to confront, you know, or hear honest feedback and, and, and really go deep, you know. But the the problem then kind of turned into, well, how do I find potential clients? And and I don't want to get into the weeds on that, but suffice to say, like I I couldn't really see a way forward from where I was at the time. And so I've kind of gotten out of the the coaching habit. And and then, you know, COVID hit me and things changed with that and um and i've been you know pretty busy trying to pay the bills and especially you know during summer break from school anyway yada yada blah 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 and uh you know i started trying to do some streaming and i was doing youtube and that's really taken a backseat because it's not that i wasn't finding value in it but I realized it's not as valuable to me as some other things. It's not as fulfilling as writing. And here's what I've decided. I've decided that I'm going to go back to school. And I want to complete my bachelor's degree. I never got one. And the plan is to go on to an MFA program in creative writing because I want to teach. And I've been teaching, you know, teaching computer lab to elementary school kids. But I really prefer teaching people that are who are older, adults, and teaching them something that I really am passionate about and that I love. And one of my very first loves ever is storytelling. And the imagination and reading books and watching movies and, and enjoying stories. That was always my first my first love. And I love helping people. I love teaching people. Coaching is certainly going to be a part of that um, to some degree, um, depending on when and where and how. I don't know yet. It's certainly something that I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. But the execution of that, that how that looks isn't isn't set in stone yet. And could it be, you know, I'm a, I'm an executive coach or, or coach of particular kinds of people? Am I a coach to writers or whatever? Who knows? We'll we'll see how that goes. But um, that certainly has had an impact on someone like Amy Bowen here, who gave feedback to that to that point that, that she's found that very interesting and very helpful. So obviously I'm onto something there, but I had found, um, videos of lectures by professor Eric Edson, who taught at Cal state Northridge. And I don't know if he's still teaching there, but 
he was at one point the director of the screenwriting MFA program uh, at Cal State Northridge. And he has, you know, he does have a book on screenwriting that I went through. Oh my gosh, my phone. What's it called? Shoot. Bang. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm bringing up my Hoopla app so I can figure out exactly what the title was. Uh huh. Very useful book called The Story Solution by Eric Edson, E-D-S-O-N. And in it, he talks about, um, and, and he's well, highly regarded and well-known for this in screenwriting circles. Um, his, his structure, his form of screenwriting. And, you know, there's, there's different books and different sources that talk about, you know, your screenplay has got to hit certain beats at certain times. And his, the way, his structure is not a, it's not a formula necessarily a for it's not a paint by numbers formula do this do this do this do this do this here do this there do this everywhere but it's a helpful analytical tool to look at other films and their screenplays and see oh my gosh they have this number of hero hero goal sequences before this happens um you know and and terminology differs but the form is the same across any movie that did well at the box office that endures in people's memory because of the kind of emotional impact it had on people. And watching him teach this and listening to the interview he did helped me kind of go back to a day when I was, you know, still involved in academically. And... You know, it just it just reached inside me and said, when he had, I heard him say, you know, when you get your MFA, it's terminal degree, which means you can teach at the collegiate level. And I'm like, I've always wanted to teach. <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, I didn't want to teach music, even though I've done musical things. Um, I don't know. It, it just opened up the opportunity for me to visualize myself in that role. And I've, I have visualized myself in that kind of role in the past. It's something that's always been attractive to me. And when I decided that that's what I wanted to do, when I saw that I could go and I'm going to, I'm attending the university of the Cumberlands online, that I could get my bachelor's in, general studies, which means I don't have to do, you know, higher math. <laughs> I've met my math requirement. I've met my history requirement. Um, that I could go back, I get a bachelor's in general studies, and then I can apply for an MFA program. And of course, your general studies bachelor's has emphasis, and I'm going to emphasize, of course, humanities and English and that kind of communication and writing. And, you know, so I'll have sort of an academic excuse to say, hey, you know, at least I was emphasizing this. Uh, but also I'll have writing samples because when I decided that that's what I want to do, and it's only, it's only 200 bucks a credit hour, which is a bargain compared to other colleges. And, and you can go from anywhere. You can take it from anywhere. Anyway, the moment I decided that that's what I wanted to do, that I could see that it was within reach 
when I saw that the MFA programs were, you know, the I don't want to say the good ones, but the one that ones that I would be interested in are residence programs where you go and you live there and you get a stipend or a salary. You work as a TA. They cover, you know, your health care. You get, you get health insurance and everything. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. Because I, I mean, I would love to be, be a professor, you know, that's and teach this stuff for a living. Um, and you know, certainly, I know, I know the cautionary tale of you know academics who think that it will free them up to work on their own creative writing, and they don't actually get to because you know they're working so much on this, that, and the other thing that they don't have time to really worry, or they don't have energy to write their own stuff. And certainly I understand that cautionary tale. Part of my journey is freeing myself up to write faster and to get out of my own way more easily. Uh, Nathan Lowell is a great example of someone who was in academics. He was teaching and wrote all those solar clipper books while he was teaching. So it's not impossible. It can be done if you have the temperament for it. And there's just something about being a teacher, going for that tenure track job that just appeals to me. And the academic setting appeals to me. And, you know, being amongst like-minded adults who are eager to learn something from you, if it's not a one-on-one course, you know, I'm just taking this because I need an elective, <laughs> you know, um, beyond 101 courses. Um, oh, but, you know, and also it, knowing that if I teach a 101 course that my exposure and my enjoyment of genre fiction from science fiction and fantasy to, you know, goofball action thrillers by Clive Cussler, you know, that there's an accessibility that people who, who are just taking it for an elective, you know, I can relate to those people who are just, just understand stories from a casual level and, and make it fun, release them to be themselves in that kind of class. Um, that's something I know I can do. And I don't know, it just, as soon as I made that decision, it's like things clicked. Um, my understanding of what I was doing with video games is just, just a hobby. And the YouTube, not important. That's not where I'm going to build my audience. Um, and I don't need to. Like, I don't feel that compulsion anymore, even though I really enjoyed doing it. And I'm still, I'm still probably going to do it. But um, that's another thing is figuring out what am I going to do with YouTube? Well, I'm not worried about that right now. Not even important. It will come if it comes and, and not a big deal. But podcasting, though, that's something that still interests me and... Um, something I still enjoy doing and I'm still sitting here talking to you 55 minutes later. Um, so when everything clicked, uh, suddenly it's like, oh, uh, you know, I, I struggled with a reason. Uh, I, I say I struggled with a reason to write. Um, that wouldn't be necessarily true, but I struggled with the idea of, you know, I don't know, the need for it. 
Like there were times where I just I just didn't want to sit around, sit down and write. Didn't want to work on the book, the, the sequel or whatever. But now, all of a sudden, like I feel this this joy in it returning because I have a goal now. And the more stuff I get written, the more opportunities I have for samples. <laughs> you know, the more samples of my work I have for an FM, MFA program. And when I get into teaching people, the more credibility I have to say, look, I've done it and I can help you learn how to do it too. Um, and, and of course I can transfer that to my podcasting space or the YouTube space and educating people that way as well, besides the academic track of it. But it was like I had a goal, an actual goal to reach for. And my goals previously had been so nebulous. It's like, oh, well, you know, um, you can say, oh, you want to write because um, you want to make money. Okay, that's number one. Or, you know, you want to write because you, know, you want to be remembered. Well, I don't, you know, I don't care if I'm remembered because um, I, I want to glorify God and, and, and I want uh, Christ to be honored in the life that I live. And I must decrease so that he might increase and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm not in it for myself. You know, I'm not in it for my own glory, my own renown. How about that? So I'm not, I'm not in it for the money though. I would love to make a living at it. You know, I'm, I, I, and I just can't motivate myself with make more books and make more money. It just, that's not enough for me. Um, and it's not so much that I have something I need to say. Uh, I'm not like, oh, I write with this theme in mind with every book, and that's the theme that I'm trying to promote, and that's the the message that I'm trying to send out into the world. You know, I, there's already a message that I like sending out into the world, and that's the love of God for people. Um, but when it comes to I like to entertain people, and I want to be able. I want to be able to have something to point people to. Um, also, knowing that if I am going to make a living at it, I have to have a lot of product out there. All of that working together, I want to be able to have credibility. I want to be able to say, "Here's how you write a story." Well, how do you know how many how many books have you published? Oh, well, you know, I had one novel and uh, I wrote some poems. You know. Like, especially if you look at the the credit credits of a lot of the professors that teach in these MFA programs, it's like so and so had this book of poetry published by this Podunk regional publication, and oh, they wrote this novel and blah blah blah. You know, a lot of these academics are really high minded, highfalutin. Um, it's got to be Yeats or Thoreau or nothing. You know, <laughs> it's like, and I just started reading Thoreau by the way, and he's amazing. But anyway, that's beside the point. The point is, you know, a guy like Kevin J. Anderson can show up and, and <clears throat> he's teaching in the MFA program for, uh, I think it's Colorado State for MFA in, in publishing. And, you know, he's got the cred. He, he's got the books and he's got the publishing house and he's got the credentials. And that's what I'm looking for is the credibility to say, I did it and so can you. And... Because that's 
what I want is I love to help people break free of their limiting beliefs and believe that they can do it. I want to help that college kid who's looking for a elective to take. Oh, this will be an easy class. I want to give them the opportunity to discover. Let me try that again. I want to give them the opportunity to discover a love for the craft that maybe they maybe he's been hiding, kind of like it was for me. You know, I was taking a creative writing class in college and we had an assignment to write a 10-page short story and I'm like you know, I just went with it with abandon and it just made this it was kind of a sci-fi thing that got goofy at the end, you know, uh, kind of turned not, not into a farce, but it, it, it sort of had a Spaceballs vibe, you know. And I can't even remember what the story was. But, you know, I was just writing it because I was having fun. And I was being goofy because, you know, I like to entertain people and just be silly. And so when I turned it in, I was like, oh, this is just whatever, and you know. Professor's just going to kind of laugh and, yeah, uh, well, that was good. Okay, you get an A. But, like, he really had nice things to say about it, and he thought it was ingenious the way I got to the ending. And I'm like, ingenious? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> you know, like, ingenuity. So that really helped me get the bug that this junior college professor kind of just was like, hey, that's pretty ingenious. You know, it's, and these other kids that were just taking it just to, just to have the elective really struggled with writing those 10 pages. And I was just like, here's 20, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and that's when the bug really, I think really took off. Um, and that's, I want to be that to someone else. So anyway, that's that's all I got to say for this episode. It's been an hour. I may have to cut some of this just in the interest of time, but maybe not. Maybe I'll just leave it. Um, but certainly, if you'd like to give me some feedback, you can, um, what was I going to say? Do the uh, the email thing, uh, Podcasts at gmail.com. You can send that over. Send me an MP3 comment, please, because that would be fun. I would love to get your feedback and comment on it. Um, so thanks very much, Amy, for listening and for sending that in. Uh, find me on Twitter at Indiana Jim, and I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to The Adventures of Indiana Jim, a production of Visionary Creative Works. Visit adventuresofindianajim.net and join the adventure.